You're listening to the Well Women Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's cycle health educator. Together, we're normalizing periods, cracking open real body talk, and femme rising the future. I'm here to remind you that your body is amazing. You can achieve balance, and body confidence all begins with your menstrual cycle. Get ready, beautiful. You're about to learn how to confidently reconnect with your body and discover your unique flow. This is episode 78. In this episode, we are chatting about breast implant illness, explant surgery, and adrenal fatigue. I want to kick it off by saying your breast size does not define who you are. Let me say that again. Your breast size does not define who you are. Did you know that breast implant surgery is the number one cosmetic surgery for women worldwide? So knowing that and knowing that breast implant illness is a topic that's being more and more spoken about and publicly shared, I thought it was a topic that we needed to have on that podcast. So I invited Emma Morris on. Emma is a clinical nutritionist, speaker, recipe developer, and lover of good food. Instantly, we're friends. She has a background in psychology and is also a personal trainer. Over the past 10 years, Emma has developed a special interest in treating mood disorders using a multi-pronged approach, searching for the root drivers of mood challenges, such as hormonal, gut, and nutritional imbalances. Emma combines her love for food, the mind, and movement to deliver a holistic treatment to her clients, as well as continued education over on her social media channels. So Emma's favorite place to hang out is Instagram. So while we go through this episode, Go and check her out. It's Emma Morris underscore nutrition. Be sure to tell her that you said hi and share this episode in your Instagram stories so we can both see by tagging both her and I in. In this episode, we explore and expand into body image and breast augmentation, which is getting breast implants. We discuss what is breast implant illness. Emma shares her personal journey with getting her own implants in and then also getting them out, which is called explanting. She shares about her longer cycles, PCOS and inflammation, along with adrenal fatigue and the hormonal imbalances that she experienced whilst having her implants in. She also opens up and shares on the steps that you can take for breast implant removal, if you're planning on that or considering it. And the pre and post explant surgery steps, things you can do to support yourself before and after your surgery, if that's something that you're looking to do. Or maybe there's a woman in your life who's potentially exploring this for herself too. I trust that you'll enjoy this episode. And I want to give a huge shout out to Emma for being so open, raw, and honest with us in sharing her own journey. Emma, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm actually really intrigued about today's ep- like episode topic because it's something I've been kind of looking at a lot in like just in the outside world because I personally don't have breast implants, but mm. I think it's a topic that's not talked about enough. So before we jump into it, let's kick it off with the, 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 the podcast question of all podcast questions. What day of your cycle are you on and what are you checking in with today? Today, <clears throat> I've just got a frog in my throat. <clears throat> Today, I am on day one of my cycle. And actually, we'll talk a lot about this with this breast implant illness and because it's affected my cycle a lot. But I'm on day one and I am I'm checking in with, um, I'm just trying to slow down and kind of just really go with the flow and, you know, not too much, put too much pressure on myself and just honour 
what my body's going through at the moment. Well, I want to honour you for doing this podcast interview on day one of your menstrual cycle <laughs> um, because it's such a great example of sometimes life happens and you can't structure and have everything switch off on day one of your cycle. But I'm sure as you know, I've seen from, you know, what, what it is that you do as a nutritionist and, you know, working with women in their health is that you would know that it's important to honour rest and nurturing mm. during the time. So mm-hmm. for those listening who think just because they're self-employed means that they can have all the time off in the world when they're bleeding, mm. we still run businesses and um, thank you for being here on day one. And I'm really excited because day one's all about intuition and bringing forward that, you know, really, um, I guess, inner guide as a woman. And I can't wait for you to share. So... <laughs> Emma, tell us, I know Emma and Gemma today, um, but Emma, tell us what it is that you do and then let's move into like what, the, what we're going to be talking about today with breast implant illness and explanting. <laughs> yeah, sure. I can't wait. Um, so I'm a clinical nutritionist and I, I practice, I primarily practice um, one-on-one. So clinically in a uh, clinic in the city. So I live in Brisbane. So we have a, a, a team, um, it's called the JCN Clinic. And so we, we are very passionate at treating people very holistically, using nutrition, using supplements, using lifestyle interventions and all of that. But I primarily have a special interest in treating um, mood disorders or, you know, going, diving deep into this mental health space. And that's because... I've suffered from my own mental health issues. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about it. But I, yeah, so I, I have this really big passion and interest in helping others become empowered about their mental health and really just, uh, you know, uh, empowering them to realise that there is a lot they can do for their mental health um, via a variety of different mechanisms. So I look really deeply at um, what's going on from the biochemical point of view. So, you know, are there nutrient deficiencies? Is there gut issues going on? Huge area that I deal with. Um, Is there there detox issues? Is there hormonal imbalances? Massive, another massive um, area. Um, All of these issues and how are they impacting mood? And then, you know, looking at, you know, helping them support themselves via you know, therapy and whatnot and other, other many other modalities and just trying to support them through that, which is obviously not something that I do, but it's um, something that I have a lot of referral networks to. So I have a huge passion. That's where my, my um, yeah, my passion lies with my clinical experience. But with that, like people think, oh, mood. Okay. But with mood, I have to almost be an expert in hormones, in gut, in detox pathways in nutritional deficiencies, in reading blood tests, in interpreting all of the labs because I put it all together and I basically am a bit of a detective. (laughs) And so I'm trying to figure out why this person is not having um, a great time with their mood. So that's what I do day to day, but I'm also really passionate about educating. So doing things like this, podcasting, um, I'm passionate about writing, I'm passionate about speaking and cooking <laughs> because I'm a nutritionist and I think of food course. is honestly it's where health begins on your plate 
Oh, and it can just, yeah, I agree. It influences so much. So yeah, that's in a nutshell what I do and what I'm about. I love it. And it, it really goes to show with what you were just mentioning that I know a lot of people think, oh, you know, I'm in a bad mind space today or and I need a mental health day. And actually, let's, this is a little off topic, but mm. recently my friend decided she, it was day one of her period and her, her menstruation came a few days early and she left work early because she works in an office and she, work, she left work early. And I said, how good would it be? I'm just going to throw this out there. If there was such thing as a menstrual health day, because there's oh. mental health days, mm. but what about menstrual health? So I'm just, you heard it here first. <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, try to make this thing happen. Menstrual health day. Um, yeah, it should be a thing. It is right. But mental health is so important and it really goes to show in, in Ayurveda and Indian medicine, like in Ayurvedic psychology, they're always talking about how the mind is affected by so much, not just what you think mm. is what people think it is, but mm. all rounds. But Oh, absolutely. I love that they're your passions and that you're here because it really leads us into the topic of conversation today, which is like breast implant illness and like, mm. what the hell is this? So I, I'll share a little bit of, I guess, my journey and story with this, which is mm-hmm. not long because I don't have breast implants, <laughs> um, but talking about boob health and we'll talk mm-hmm. about, I guess, body image is mm-hmm. I'm 34 this year and I know growing up around the age of like 17, 18, 19, it was definitely a topic of high importance within my friend circle. So, you know, are you getting boobs? Like it was a kind of like a thing that everyone was kind of looking into yeah. getting done about God, 15, not 10, 10 to 15 years ago. It's scary to say yeah. that. And, <laughs> and it was something that I really wanted at the time. I really wanted boobs. And I was just like, for 10 grand to put something in your chest? Mm. I'm like, I could buy a car for that. So I, um, I, definitely, I didn't go ahead with it, but I had a few friends who did. And I, um, I kind of also was really into sport. And I didn't really think that if I had boobs, I'd kind of be in the way. And I didn't want my boobs to be in the way. And normally I'm like a, a B cup. But since being on a very healthy cycle, since coming off the pill, I definitely fluctuate, which is normal. Mm. and I'm happy with my boobs now. But body image-wise, it took me a long time to be really confident and happy with my own breasts. Mm. And I guess breast massage is also very helpful for that. But I can understand where a lot of women, you know, do get breast implants, and I've got a number of friends who do have them. Um, I have a friend who's recently just had her, her, her breast implants out, and it's starting to become, I don't want to say a trend, but a lot more awareness about what mm. implants in your body are. And I just remember when my sister got a belly button pierced and her body was rejecting the piercing, like it pushed it out of her body. She did it three times and it just kept. Oh my goodness. Because she really obviously wanted a belly button pierced <laughs> rebel against my mom when she was 16. But that's another topic. Sorry, Jade. And um, <laughs> if you, she's probably going to listen to this, be like, why did you tell that story? But it just goes to show that your body knows and rejection. But with breast implants, like how does your, does your body really want the breast implants? So let's talk about what your journey with breast implants has been. And then let's discuss what is breast implant in illness. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. So my journey, um, it's, it's a bit of a funny one. So I grew up very sporty, probably like yourself. Mm -hmm. And I grew up swimming a lot so I would train and I mean a lot like training 10 times a week um when I was 
12, 13, 14, 15, 16, probably those ages. And that's when you get boobs. <laughs> and I genetically, my mother had nothing from a boob point of view. And she actually had, she actually ended up getting breast implants a long time before I did. So I grew up a swimming and having no development of breasts at all because I was swimming. I was so, I was so, um, I was so fit and, you know, swimmers in general, they don't have a, a large amount of breast tissue because they are so fit and their body fat percentage is usually, you know, quite, quite low. They use their pecs a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. And like, you can tell my shoulders <laughs> still, I've got swimming shoulders. Um, but so I kind of grew up in togs, not, and I kept on kind of thinking, when am I going to get boobs? You know, like I literally had pre-pubescent chest for, you know, I, I hit 13, I hit 14, I hit 15, no development at all. I got my period when I think, I think I was about 15. So pretty late. And, you know, mum always said, oh, we're just late bloomers in our family. And, you know, but she was unhappy with her breast too, because she ended up getting implants. And I thought I always had in the back of my mind, I'm never going to get booze because mum doesn't have them. So I'm pretty much, I pretty much have to get breast implants. And that was just this, now that I think about it, it was a subconscious thought that I just always had in my mind. And so I, I went through and I was kind of used to, like I, I didn't hide that I had no boobs because I was used to it. I was in togs for the whole world to see. And I didn't care because I was really good at swimming. And so, you know, I, whatever. But then as I guess I went through my later teenage years and I stopped swimming at oh, 16, 17, and then it was like a whole different ball game because I was no longer swimming. I no longer had this purpose for my body to do something. So I then started looking at, Oh, I'm 16. I have literally nothing. Okay. I just have nipples. I have no development. What's, what's this going to, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to keep this? Am I going to change? You know, am I going to get, get surgery and whatnot? So fast forward, you know, as you say, back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, which is the same as me. So I'm 30. So I'm four years younger than you, but same, same in terms of back then it was a big deal. And it was like, I remember in the school circle, 16, 17, you know, year 11, 12, you know, who had boobs, who didn't, who, you know, who had their period, who didn't. And it was just like this thing of, oh yeah, are you going to get boobs? And then it was like, you know, fast forward a few more years and we get to, I was 19. So um, I was, what was I doing? Studying, studying psychology, believe it or not. <laughs> and I remember a couple of my friends wanted to get implants and I bonded to them more via talking about implants and, and having this shared goal of wanting breasts. But I always felt in my mind that like mm. these girls had, and I know everyone's got their own you can't judge, you know, well, you've got boobs, so you shouldn't want them because everyone's got their own body image issues. But I was always like, oh, well, they want, they want breast implants and they have boobs. They have a B cup. I can't even fit into a triple A, like at all. <laughs> and, and so anyway, we, we started talking about it and I started, you know, telling my, my mum, she'd had breast implants in by this stage. And she was like, it's the best thing I've ever done. It's hands down the best decision I ever made. I only wish wow. I did it sooner. She's like, I, the one regret is because she got them done when she was 40 or 41. The only regret I have is not getting them done sooner. So, of course, I was like, oh, 19. 
it's definitely time, you know. And so, your mother's your role model. Role um, model. Someone you look up to, like if it's okay with them and they're totally cool with it, it's like, I'm going to do it. You know, it's oh. like when, when your parents approve of a boyfriend or a, par- or a girlfriend oh. and you're like, oh, you approve of them? Okay, well, I'm definitely going to date them. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And so this was something that I think maybe I was maybe about 15 when she got them in. Mm-hmm. So right around that time where I was starting to think about it a lot more. So, you know, she was just like, it's the best thing I've ever done, blah, 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 blah. Just saying it's, you know, and was so supportive of me getting them done. So off we went, 19, off we went to, we had many, many consults with different surgeons to see who would fit best. And every consult I went to, the surgeon would be like, oh, you're a tough case because your boobs are so small. You literally have nothing. It's probably like, uh, and the thing is, I'm not exaggerating here at all. And it's just, you know, back then I was like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm a bit abnormal actually. You know, like I actually don't have anything. And and they were like, yeah, you've got no breast tissue. So it's going to be a really tough operation. And your nipples are quite far apart. So it's going to be, you're not going to have cleavage and blah, 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 blah. And so a lot of them are kind of like, oh, we can't really promise you a really good result because of the shape of your chest and because you've got no, no natural tissue at all. A beautiful swimmer's chest, might I add. Yes, yes. And... um. And I was like, oh, goodness, like, yeah, I really am abnormal, which then fueled my desire even more to have boobs, right? So uncomfortable, what, like, oh, oh, I'm not normal, so how can I fit, fit in better? And, and think of how many, you know, women these, these male surgeons see all the time and they were telling me I was abnormal. <laughs> so, well, anyway, we, fun fact yeah. is that breast surgery is the number one cosmetic surgery mm. for women worldwide. Mm. It's not surprising at all. And, you know, they, they probably do play on your emotions. Like, you know, it's probably just part of what they do. But anyway, so went to um, the Gold Coast and got them done with a really reputable surgeon. It was a more expensive operation because he just charged more. But I felt more safe with him because he really pointed out a few things about my chest that no other surgeon had done. And um, the op was 12 grand, 12 grand. But I was like, you know, you know, I don't, and I didn't have the money. Like I was 19, I was a student. I was earning like a couple hundred bucks a week. Mm. And so I remember my, my, well, how did I pay for it? I didn't get a loan. I had a, um, so my mother had a credit card and I was an additional card holder on that credit card. Worst thing ever. And she <laughs> allowed me to put, allowed me to put that breast surgery on it. Cause it was such a high limit anyway. Um, but it was kind of, so she kind of, you know, helped me with that, but then it was like, it's your debt. You've got to pay it off. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Worst financial decision I've ever made. And, you know, still paying for it to this day, but anyway, um, and yeah, got the surgery, um, all went really well. I guess I was really healthy and fit and whatnot. And so I, um, I, I bounced back really quickly. Like once I got them in, I was like, boom. And I'm sorry, I was 20 by this stage. I was like, boom, yep, right before my 21st birthday. And I kind of just moved on. I was like, yep, got boobs now, great. Move on with my life. And I remember thinking, yes, I've got them so young that later on when I get my proper job and start my career, no one will ever know that I have breast implants. So I was just kind of like, cool, done, you know. I love it, when I get my proper job. Yeah, when I get my proper job. And people had no idea that I had them because they weren't huge. My shoulders are wide. My chest actually is wide. Um, because that's the shape of my body and I've got like an athletic body type and, you know, these breasts, I remember my friend at the same time got the same size. I think it was about 330 CC. Hers looked gigantic on her because she had a small frame 
a small chest, small shoulders, and hers were like cleavage central. They looked, they, I think they were probably like cleavage central. <laughs> and, and for me, they looked small. Like for me, they were a C, for her, they were a double D. Same, same implant though. Mm. And that's, and that's just a showing that everyone's body shapes are, diff- are different. If you put yes. the same implant in two people, like they're going to look different. Oh, anyway, so it's, it's, it's the same. You, you can even break that down. And if you put the same pair of jeans on two different people, oh. they're going to fit differently. Like I'm six foot and my best friend is definitely not six foot. And she's like, here, borrow my pants for your photo shoot. I'm like, those <laughs> things are not fucking going to fit me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I've got a whole extra like foot on my, on my yeah. leg. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so anyway, off I went and just continued to did my uni degree, finished that off, um, did all the things, you know, as I moved through my 20s. So I got them when I was 20, just before my 21st birthday. And I kind of didn't really have any issues with them for a long time. So I just didn't even think about them. They were just part of me. You know, I felt so much conf- more confident on the beach and in the gym because I was in the gym a lot. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I don't have to wear padding anymore because I actually don't look like a boy anymore. I can, I have these boobs where I can, I can wear a normal sports bra, like your Lorna Jane or a Lululemon sports bra. And in, because I was quite muscular, I was like, I had this complex that I thought I looked like a boy because I was quite muscular and I had that body shape and then I had no boobs. So I literally looked in my head. I was like, I, I looked like a boy. So now I don't look like a boy anymore. I look I know like how a female. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I just was like, yeah, it's the best thing ever. I kept going, blah, blah, blah. Then over probably oh, reflecting probably, you know, five years into having them, I got a viral infection. And look, my, 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 um, my health history is dotted with viral infections. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not, I was not the best in retrospect. I was not the best candidate to put something foreign into my body because my immune system was not great. And this is something we'll talk about, you know, when it comes to different women getting different implants. But I was just the worst candidate to get something foreign in my body. Like, although my body, I guess, accepted them, I didn't have any issues with, you know, capsule contracture or anything like that. My body started to slowly, really slowly um, be affected. And so I got um, I got this um, virus called Barmaphorus virus, which is very like chronic fatigue-ish. And so I got that. And from that point onwards, I think I just was, I just went downhill from a physical and a mental capacity. Mm-hmm. And so since, since that point, I then, I, I developed, I, I burnt out. I developed almost like a chronic fatigue. I, I wouldn't say it's a proper chronic fatigue diagnosis because it's, I know people who do have proper chronic fatigue, but it's, it was a very, it was a post-viral fatigue like no other. And it stopped me from working. And, and then I kind of, as the years went on, I, I looked after my body. I studied nutritional medicine. I did this and that. I was always tired and I never, and I had mental health issues and a lot of other things. And I could never realize like why I treat my body so well. I eat well, I move, I, you know, I sweat, I, I make time for my mental health. I rest. I do all of the things. I'm so fit. You know, why do I feel so shit all Mm. the time? And so that kind of just bubbled along for a few years, really up and down from a mental health perspective, almost hospitalized with a depressive episode, suicidal, you know, self-harm, the whole bit. And, you know, had a few things happen in my life, which and you know, so triggered. Just, just to put age brackets in, yeah. how long after you, you had the implant, you got the implants in, did this occur? 
about five years. So you'd had the implants and about five years in, that's when you got your first virus. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. So, you know, got that. And then from there, it was just not, that's like the, it was the beginning of the, the downhill spiral. So then kept going along and then did nutritional medicine, graduated, started working at the clinic I now work at. And, um, I remember just talking to the girls and being like, you know, of course now I had all this knowledge about the body and and all that. And I thought, God, my gut is really not okay. So I ended up doing a lot of stool analysis and Jess who owns the clinic, um, she took me through my results and and planned out something for me. She was like, man, Emma, your results are really effed up. (laughs) And honestly, like, like, thanks for the honesty. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, No, but I I knew that too. Like I was also practicing at the time. This was a couple of years, probably two to three years ago now. And, I said to Jess, yeah, this is the one of the, she said to me too, like, this is one of the worst results I've ever seen, like a stool result. And we deal with these every single day. So we were like, oh my God, like it was really out of whack. So anyway, I did a lot of work with that. And yes, I felt a lot better, but my fatigue um, and a lot of other issues were still around. And, you know, it was like, oh, okay. And then it got fast forward to, what was it? Middle of last year where I really started to put into perspective how much these implants were actually affecting me. So it was almost like a very slow downhill spiral. I, before that point, I did not associate my breast implants with any of my health issues at all. So, you know, I had brain fog, memory problems, night sweats, immune issues, ongoing body rashes, vertigo. Um, I had uh, issues with my menstrual cycle. I had fatigue, obviously muscle tightness, headaches, inflamed lymph nodes, just, you know, a lot, uh, poor recovery from exercise, like Mm. really struggling. And so I kind of, I got to mid last year and I went, actually, um, my, my sister, my stepsister got diagnosed with breast cancer at 26. And so it kind of just for all of our family, just put the the emphasis back on, okay, we need to really um, focus on our breasts and make sure that we're checking them. And it just kind of reminded us. And I was checking mine and I felt Did like... Did your sister few... have boobs like your mother and yourself? No, no. So she's... Not my implants. Oh, yes. Okay. So she, she had, yeah, and she had... Natural boobs. Yeah, not, yeah, natural boobs. Okay. And so it would just kind of like put the focus back on, whoa, we need to all check our boobs. Just, you know, a reminder because she's 26 while she's so young. Mm. She's fine um, now. But anyway, so I was checking them and then I was like, oh, there's some like pain and inflammation and um, like I felt just feeling of yuckiness on my left side. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Went to the doctor. She referred me to get um, some scans, some scans done, like an ultrasound and all that. And just to see um, what was going on. And I just will never forget the ultrasound lady, whatever they're called, (laughs) was like, yeah, you've got some debris and some fluid. Sonographer. Yeah, sonographer, good one. <laughs> so I've got some, you've got some debris and fluid in that left breast. Um, and I'm like, what, what is that? What's debris and fluid? She's like, you know, around your what breast implant. What does that mean? So yeah, it, my breast implant has started to develop some fluid around it, which by the way, is one of the first signs of this breast implant associated um, cancer which I was like, oh my goodness, I've got these breast implants and they are starting to, to develop these first signs of this cancer, which are 100% linked to these breast implants. What should I do? You know, and the sonographer was like, you know, you just, you're on our priority list. I'm glad that you had this done. We just got to keep you, you know, keep you under our wing. She literally used that term. And, you know, you just got to come back in six months and just see if anything has progressed. And I was like, I'm not going to wait and sit here like a sitting duck to wait to get cancer 
And I was like, no way, there's pain. There's a real feeling of discomfort here. I'm not okay with it. So then I just started to, and I had my, my health was really starting to take a downward turn. I, I got sinus infection and that was another symptom. And I had to take, I just was so sick with a sinus infection. My body couldn't fight it. And I had to take five rounds of antibiotics, which as a nutritionist who focuses on gut health is just like shocking. <laughs> I was just like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? But I had to, to work. Otherwise I was so sick. Mm. Anyway, so decided to, um, yeah, look at getting them out. and then got them out and it, and obviously we'll go through this, but got them out and it was the best decision I've ever made. And my health has just been on the incline since that point. So that was, it's now what, July. So it's been eight months. Wow. So yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Let's, 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 oh, there's so many questions mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. your story. But right. It's whilst, not a short story. <laughs> it's not, but whilst we're, whilst you're on the roll, what have you noticed since like post-surgery and then just the, the core things you've noticed in the differences mm-hmm. since before and after? And then mm-hmm. let's go back and talk about the process and then the, like mm-hmm. the decision-making mm-hmm. and going through the surgery. Um, so what have you noticed in the last eight, like seven to eight months um, post-surgery? Yep. So the first thing that happened that I noticed was I always had a bit of puffiness around like my face and it was fluid and you know i always had this like and i still you know this is just the shape of my face but i had like this little double chin thing going on and my husband always used to be like try to be cute and try to like grab my chin and be like oh you're so cute and the two days (laughs) after (laughs) it's not cute it's not cute um but anyway he thought so and the two days after i got my boobs out he's like i can't grab anything You've, you've had all this fluid just vanish and my whole body was holding on to this fluid. I think it was a couple of kilos worth. It just vanished. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Vanished overnight. So it was the first thing. Like I was like, whoa, my body was just in this state of chronic inflammation. I see that all the time, whether it's because of breast implants or something else, you know, gut stuff, hormone stuff, whatever. But I think a lot of people live in a chronic state of inflammation and not realise it. Like Absolutely. Even during the day, if I'm sitting all day and then I'm like, I go to yoga and I'm like, I think I'm just going to put my legs up the wall first. I can instantly feel I have fluid retention mm. Mm. and I feel Absolutely. like I'm a healthy, a healthy human. Yeah. So yeah, we so all have some. Mm. That's the first thing. And then I, yeah, so this, that happened. And then I started to, I, my energy started to just become a bit better. And I'm still working on this because I think there's many, many factors here, but my energy, I started to feel more rested from a night's sleep and more refreshed, which I hadn't felt in a long time. I, my headaches decreased. Um, so they definitely started to um, get decrease in, I, I just always had headaches. So I just didn't, didn't have as many um, lymph nodes went down. <laughs> they were always inflamed, always sore, went down. Um, night sweats basically stopped. Um, immune issues. So my sinus infection that I'd had and taken five courses of antibiotics for went away. Um, I had lots of, um, vertigo went away, lots of full body rashes. And especially when my immune system was flaring up and I've had this once since because I got, um, a virus since, but I, this was happening monthly and I would have these full body rashes and it was an immune rash. My body was Mm. just like trying to fight something, but it just couldn't because it was already trying to fight these implants, which were foreign bodies. 
And it's like, once I've taken those away, my body's now had the chance to do its thing, what it's meant to do and fight, you know, um, pathogens that come in, viruses that come in and do all the things it's meant to do, have the energy to, to sleep well and to, you know, recover and all of that now that these things are gone. <laughs> so they're, they're the big things for me. I have to interrupt this episode to let you know that today is sponsored by my brand new five-day Love Your Cycle mini course, a simplified self-paced course to teach you the foundations and fundamentals of your menstrual cycle in under a week. Receive daily educational class videos and audios along with action steps, a cycle tracking guide, cycle prompts, and my Love Your Cycle 50-page ebook. This is your chance to discover everything you wish they had have taught you at school about your cycle, how to eat, how to move, honoring your emotions and identifying PMS and cycle signs before they arise. It's now your turn to join over 300 women from around the world who have already taken this course to reclaim and reconnect with their bodies. And you can do this too in under a week for less than a fancy vegan burger. To learn more, visit wellsome.com forward slash shop. And to thank you for being an amazing listener of this podcast, I want to offer you a 20% off voucher code. Use the code CYCLELOVE at checkout to save. For some people, just waking up with energy um, or more energy than what they've had in the past, they might not even think that that's possible because you're like, oh, but I wake up with good energy. It's I, I always say that with the journey of health, Emma, is that, you never know how, how high or where the peak is. Like there's no such thing as the summit because the summit's always position of it is always changing. So there's always more. Absolutely. Yeah. Like always more. Like I'll never forget when I went, um, I take a group of women over to India and we, we do a two week Panchakarma cleansing experience. And I went, but the first time I did that and there's podcast episodes about it, but the first time I did that, I literally, I felt really, really healthy. And I left feeling like, this is what health is. Yeah. <laughs> Holy yep. moly. I was like, I didn't know getting a treatment every day for 14 days and having a team of nurses and team of doctors that see you every single day whilst living in a five-star resort on a beach <laughs> would actually make me even more healthier. Mm. But um, you just never know. So don't judge where you are. There's always more to go. Mm, um, absolutely. So what have you... I do really want to talk about pre and post surgery, mm. but I'm also really interested in, in your experience. Cause I know that, you know, hormones as a clinical nutritionist very mm. well and the menstrual mm -hmm. cycle well, but let's discuss like, what did you notice with your menstrual cycle? Because if you think of the common things women experience with menstrual cycle challenges, I call these cycle signs and you're looking at headaches, migraines, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, acne, um, estrogen dominance which can be linked with your liver like general hormone imbalance um moods <laughs> emotions mm -hmm. food cravings imbalance in your diet um and they're the common ones mm. now they're common mm. doesn't mean they're normal and that's what a lot of women experience but for someone who's going through breast implant illness and not even realizing that maybe their breast implants are causing some kind of imbalance in their body or discomfort, mm. like what what did you experience so very interesting. So my, yeah, so oh. <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start. So I just at the end of last year, I also had an ultrasound on my ovaries and it came up as I had lots of cysts on my ovaries. So I guess I don't really like the label because there's so many types of, you know, types of PCOS, but I guess they, and I had a regular cycle. So 
because of those two things, which are two out of the three criteria, they go, you've got PCOS. Didn't really have high androgens. Same but, thing happened to me. Yeah, right? And so they're like, you know, and my cycle ranged from, you know, and being a nutritionist, you know, I, I was doing all of the right things. Mm. But my cycle ranged from anywhere between well, 35 days, but that was quite rare. That was my shorter cycle to 60 days. Um, but it, it roughly fell on about the 40 to 45 day mark. And so I was not, and with that, you know, obviously you're not ovulating every month. I knew that some months I was because I, I'm very in touch with how to tell. Um, but, and I was temp charting a little bit and whatnot, but you know, some, some months I wasn't, some cycles I wasn't. And this actually looking back now, my hormones, I haven't been on any contraception for probably five years now. Um, but it's been that same, that same PCOS picture the entire time, no matter what I did. So I look at that and, and meanwhile, I've also had testing done with cortisol and, and hormones and all that. And my adrenals were just flatlining. My, my cortisol production was nil <laughs> almost. Mm. It's not, it wasn't actually nil, but very, it's just flat across the day. No, no increase when I woke up. No, you know, so very, and it helps explain my low energy and whatnot, but my PCOS was an adrenal PCOS. So it, it was totally driven by my adrenal fatigue, for want of a better term, HPA axis dysfunction is the real proper term, but that chronic stress that my body had gone through for so many years, A, because of my breast implant, that definitely had a role, but B, you know, I burnt myself out during this. I, I got to a very low body fat percentage, which I... At the time I had a marina in, I probably, I, I definitely would have lost my period at that very time. Very athletic. I, very athletic. So I didn't even realise that because I had a marina in. But now that I think about it, I would have lost my period for probably a few years there. Mm. But I didn't realise because I had a marina in. I never got it anyway. Anyway, so my period's been quite a regular, blah, 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 blah. Had that ultrasound, had cystic ovaries. And I was like, oh, geez, okay. So then this, as soon as I got them out, my cycle, interestingly, started to shorten. And it's still a bit variable, but it has gone from, I think it went from 47 days to 45 to 42 to 38 to 32. And the last couple of cycles, it's been 32. And, and I'm ovulating. And, you know, and I've done a lot of work. Like I did a Dutch test. I realized, I figured out what my hormones were doing, but it was really, my hormones actually looked normal. It was just the adrenals that were impacting everything. And so um, I've been working with herbs and supplements and really taking it easy on myself since my explant, but my period is starting to normalize and I'm starting to ovulate. So I feel that for me and my personal story, because there's many, many re reasons why PCOS happens, but for me, it was probably an inflammatory and an adrenal driven PCOS. It wasn't an insulin resistant PCOS. I didn't have insulin resistance, which is part of a, a huge part of um, PCOS, but not mm. everybody does have that. Yeah, and I so didn't, I, when I had PCOS, I didn't have that either. Yeah, yeah. I, think I, did, the, I did the insulin um, test at, oh. Like, and I literally, I was nearly hospitalized because my body, Ooh. like I was in like a, a very glycemic low. 
and mm. I've never, I've, it was horrendous. Oh, I don't okay. know how they make pregnant women do this. Oh, <laughs> anyway. I've got my own opinions on that. So. That's another topic for another <laughs> podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that's how my cycles change. And I guess I never really had, like, in terms of, in, like, usually when I think of an inf- inflamed person having a cycle, I think of, yeah, Eastern dominance. I think of pain. I think of potentially clotting, quite heavy periods, blah, 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 blah. That's a really inflamed cycle. I didn't have that. So, you know, I my period was pretty normal, but I guess I did so much else in terms of my health and my gut and all of that to to try and keep that inflammation at bay. So I didn't have painful periods. They weren't crazily long or heavy. Um, there wasn't any clotting, like any of that. And it just, it, the only thing was that it, I didn't have mood issues around it, nothing. The only thing was that it just was irregular. So since that time I've been, since explant, I've done lots of work, acupuncture. I, I, I did a hormone test to see where things were at. I've done acupuncture. I've done lots of herbal medicine. I've done lots of nutritional supplements. Obviously food is a big part of it. Um, and yeah, just being really like lifestyle point of view. I've really just from an adrenal perspective, I've just had to bring it really rein it in because I can't, adrenals do not take that cortisol picture does not have like recover itself overnight. Yes. So I've, you know, but now that, you know, Jess, my, my boss, Jess was like, you know, M your the bucket had holes in it before. Now your holes are filled. You've just got to fill the bucket. And that was such a good analogy because I'd done everything. I'd taken the implants out. And so that, chronic inflammation or inflammatory thing was now gone so my body could actually use its energy reserves to do the things it needed to do part of that is to heal from this adrenal picture and regain my you know regular ovulation which is a sign of health a sign of a healthy cycle which is a sign of a healthy woman yeah right Um, i'm really proud of you it's such yeah. a beautiful journey that you've been on and I know that it's a, let's say a financially expensive lesson, mm. of health, but what a beautiful lesson at that. Mm. And you um, know what? I, I don't regret it at all. Like people go, Do, don't you just regret getting them? And that the explant also cost me 12 grand. So I was together. I was just about to say 4k. Yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> it's all right. People spend more money on cars and crash them. Yeah. Totally yeah, exactly. Fine. And then they, they don't learn anything from it. <laughs> yeah, it's an, ex, it's an expensive life lesson, but you know what? Wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, so that's why I'm, I'm proud of you. Really proud. <clears throat> I know that there's a lot of women who I've personally had conversations with who have implants who are like, oh, I've been thinking about getting them out and I'm not really sure about it. You know, and I think some of that would be fear of, well, these boobs are part of my identity now. Mm. And when I get them out, like, are people still going to like me for who I am? I guess that's, and I, I'm speaking from what I would um, think about the experience because I'm not in that experience myself, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to hear um, your journey with the pre and the post um, the surgery. So it's called explanting. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. So explanting, getting them out. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. So I guess, from a psychological perspective, I had to do a lot of work around accepting myself for who I was without um, implants because, yes, I had them in for almost 10 years. Mm. So they were part of my, my entire 20s. Um, they were a part of who I was. And you know what? My husband met me with implants. So for us, he didn't know me without boobs. Yeah. How weird is that, right? This man who I had married didn't know me 
as flat-chested Emma, <laughs> didn't know me as the woman I actually was, right? And so we had to have a lot of conversation around that. I did a lot of work. And for me personally, the way that I, uh, the way that I help to shift energy and do a lot of like therapeutic work is through energy healing mm. and, but holistic counseling as well. So kind of moving through that, but doing a lot of energy work, kinesiology, all that kind of thing. And that's what works for me. But for someone else, it could have just been talking to a therapist or even having conversations with family and friends. It just depends. But for me, I did a lot of work around that. But by that time, like I was, about to have my 30th birthday and you know what I feel like things just changed like my priorities back then were so much different to what they are now now I want to start a family now I've married men of my dreams and I want and I'm so happy with that I'm not I don't care about having boobs anymore you know um, and I had to come to terms with I had and I'm not exaggerating nothing to begin with like couldn't feel as I said a triple a couldn't feel so I was like, it's going, it's probably going to be the same when I get them out. And I had to come to terms with that. And you know what? It was the same. I still have nothing. I have no breast, very, very, very minimal breast tissue. And we joke that like my, my um, husband has pecs bigger than my bro- like boobs. <laughs> like I've that's... been, I've had a partner in the past who's had bigger boobs than mine. And I'm like, you sure you don't want to wear my bra today? Because yeah. your boobs are mighty perky. <laughs> yep. So, you know, that was, that was hard, but also it, we, we had to talk about it and we tackled it. And, you know, I remember the first time I showed him post-surgery, I was so nervous because I, you know, I was like, oh my goodness, like, what is he going to think? But luckily he's a bum man anyway. So he actually didn't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) I love Um, that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that's just a definition of like, he, I know he loves me so much and it wasn't like, for him, he was like, I don't, for your boots. oh, absolutely. He's like, I don't care. I just want you to be well. Like, I actually don't care. And he doesn't. And that's the, the beauty of, of that. So, you know, I'm very thankful. But I know it's not the same with just other women. Just on that I, lesson, that's a really yeah. great lesson for women who are listening to this. If you don't have a long-term partner or and you're not married, that people will love you for who you are. Absolutely. Not what you think you need to look like. Yeah. And... That goes the same for everything, your size, your height, your personality, your hobbies, what you do for work, your financial status. People will mm-hmm. love you for who you are and who you are inside your body, not what's going on outside your body. Absolutely. And I guess just going through everything I went through, it's, yeah, I just didn't care as much anymore. I was just like, my, who I was back then is so different to who I, who I am now. And you know what? I don't need, and through the, all the therapy and stuff I did, I was like, I don't need these boobs to help define who I am. Yes. You um, so, you know, I'm not going to be a different person. My personality is not going to change. The only thing that's going to change is my breast size. And that does not define who I am. So actually it, it doesn't matter, you know, um, and, and I kind of got to that really good place mentally. And I think with this, I see a lot of women on Facebook pages and whatnot, very, very scared about doing the explant because of what they're going to look like after. But for those women, they have that they, they have to do the mental work. They have to get to that body acceptance stage or mm. be trying to work on it because, you know, um, things do not look different, do not look the same obviously when you get them out and there's so much fear around that that I see in these groups but you've kind of got to go well actually what are these what are these implants doing to my body 
you know, is it really, you've got to weigh up the pros and cons. And in my opinion, that the con list outweighed the pro list a billion to one, you know? Um, and so it's really, it's really about mentally reframing the way that you're thinking about your body, the way, and like really trying to nurture that self-love, self-compassion and knowing that you're not going to change as a person by getting these out. You're actually going to probably increase your health and increase your happiness via that you know so but it's very 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 important to be working on that side of yourself and i think regardless of where you're at like if you're listening to this and you're like me and you don't even have breast implants and you're just listening Mm. to this episode because you want to just learn about learn about it and i'm Mm. i honor you for being here and listening to it is that that can be applied to everything in your life becoming Mm. a better person and raising your consciousness is about seeking health help and that can be with people who aren't you know your close friends and that can be a therapist it could be a kinesiologist it could be a counselor it could be a reiki healer it could be a um an energetic healer it could be a shaman like if i think the amount of therapy like you could call them therapies or you could call them healers that i've seen in the past eight years of my life I'm like, I've spent thousands of dollars. I've flown mm. over the world to see, to see shamans and mm. doctors and, and healers. And it helps you become a better person. So regardless of where you are on your journey, if you want to improve who you are, see someone and you learn more about yourself, how your mm. mind works and how your body works. It's the best lesson you can ever take and the Absolutely. best relationship you can ever form. Absolutely. So we've been chatting for ages and I want to keep chatting, but we are almost out of time. So I do have a question, um, a couple of questions. First question is for women who are listening to this, who would like to explore maybe getting their implants out because Mm -hmm. if they've searched for implants or explanting or something, and this podcast has come up, that's why they're here probably. Mm, Um, I did that. There you go. So what are three steps um, a woman can take in the first three steps they should take or you could recommend them taking to moving towards the journey of discovering, is this a decision that I want to make and getting my breast implants mm-hmm. out? Okay. So the first thing I'd probably do is jump onto Facebook and join a group that uh, is all about this. And the one that I really recommend um, that really helped me, let me just find it. It's called Breast Implant Illness, and you can link it to the show notes. Australia and New Zealand Awareness and Support. I'm in the group. You are in the group. Yeah, Beauty. my friend um, who recently had her, her or recently had ex, an explant added me to the group. Mm. So yeah, Beauty. So, so breast, I'll add that into the. You know, um, that's a real yeah, that's a really uh, easy way to start. You know, it's there's no there's no risk there. You just go to the group. You have a look at the the stories, the journeys, the photos, and you just, a lot of women I know, they just sit on the sidelines and watch and read and learn. And with this group, there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, the admins are great. They police it really, really well. And there's not a lot of like crap on there. Mm. There's documents with recommended surgeons by your area. There's doc- documents on um, other information about breast implant illness and um, and other, all, all of the health topics. So that would be probably my first um, piece of advice. The next thing though I would do is, and this is what I did, I, I, I went to my GP and I expressed my concerns and then she referred me for an ultrasound just to see 
what what were we dealing with here? Are we dealing with anything structural or is it just, you know, and when I say just breast implant illness, there doesn't have to be anything structurally happening. Um, it's it's this immune activation that's happening. But I think it's still worth your time to go to your GP and and have a look at what's going on. If there's any, yeah, any rupture, anything happening, any debris, any fluid accumulation around the around the implant and all of that, um, which is what I did. And that just helped my decision because I did have debris and fluid accumulation and that left breast was bigger. And when I got it out, I had so much more inflammation in that capsule that came out with it. So it was way more red, way more inflamed. And it was just crazy. Like, obviously there was something going on there. So for me, that just helped my decision. But But despite that, I still think if you have nothing that comes up as, you know, uh, anything wrong, it still is a good step to take. And then the third step would be probably, well, finding out what implants you've got. So you need to find out what kind of implants you've got because some are, some have been recalled and some have been banned. Mm, and the ones that I really had, step. yeah, the ones that I had, there's probably the same kind of step with going to the GP, but the ones that I had have been banned in Australia since 2016. Yet I didn't know that until I, I looked into it um, because of the risk of cancer and the way that they degrade in the body. So um, that's really important. And again, that fueled my <laughs> um, fire to get these out because I was like, wow, they've been banned in Australia. They've been banned in the US for years, like decades. They're only done in Europe and Australia now. I'm sorry, not Australia, not anymore, but um, only Europe. And so that was a, a big thing for me. That's interesting, actually, that they're only done in Europe when Europe is one of the, you know, having worked in nutritional manufacturing and understanding like food legal laws, it, Europe is one of the most strict when it comes to mm. like, you can't even use propylene glycol, you know, which yeah. is found in many, many um, flavorings, which is still yeah. used in Australia and deemed as safe, but it's a carcinogenic and it's yeah. deemed unsafe and they use it in Australia, um, New Zealand and America, but it's fine. It's like illegal in, in, in Europe. So that's, that's, a, that's an interesting fact. Hmm. Yeah, right. Um, and then once you've done all that and you know kind of what you're dealing with, um, in terms of getting the information about your implant, sometimes that can be quite hard, especially if your surgeon isn't practising anymore. Mine was, and I just contacted his offices, but the hospital that you had the, um, the surgery in, they should have the record of exactly on their hospital records of, you know, your operation and what breast implants went into your body. Really so that's, that's a really good thing to do. And then if, you know, then it's time after you've kind of done all that and you've sat with the idea for a while and you want to go ahead, then you've got to look for a surgeon. So there are lots of recommendations based on where you're, where you're at in Australia, obviously, and anywhere else. But, um, I went with Dr. Widowson at the Gold Coast Lotus Institute and I can't recommend him highly enough. Um, he was great. He actually listened to me. He actually is conducting his own research on breast implant illness. He believes in it, which is oh, a very small percentage of the medical community at the moment. It's deemed as not a, not a real thing. And that's just going to change with time. And a lot of, um, like, just to reiterate, I haven't got boobs. Breast, oh, I have boobs. I don't have, I don't have breast implants. <laughs> yeah. But... Um, I know that a lot um, through friends who are going through this journey, a lot of doctors or cosmetic surgeons who put breast implants in, they also take them out. Mm. So they can see women and say, yeah, I'm putting it, like I put in three lots today, but I took out two. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I guess that's about finding someone who you feel like is going to be on your team in a supportive, in a supportive manner. And Dr. Widowson, actually, I think he's, 
at the moment he's taking out more than he's putting in. And he only puts them in, he's got very strict um, rules around Guidelines. putting them in. Guidelines, yeah, because yeah. he understands now that this is actually a thing. And I had to put, he's collecting his own research because there's not enough studies about this at the moment. There will be, like, mark my words, there will be oh, an app, future, you know, yes. in the future, it will be a thing, a medically recognised thing, but a lot of medical practitioners at the moment do not recognise it. And a lot of plastic surgeons don't recognise it either. So you've got to, you know, and with this group, that's why it's so good because they can, they can help you, um, you know, do your research on finding a surgeon where you are or close to where you are that will actually suit you and with that don't be afraid to have multiple you know consultations with multiple surgeons because mm. you've got to feel comfortable but luckily for me I went there on a based off a recommendation I knew a few women who'd had it done with him and they kind of raved about him and I went there I took my husband and my mum with me and he was fantastic from the get-go very understanding Great. felt very safe with him so booked it in boom fantastic well oh this is such a beautiful story um thank you so much for sharing there i will ask one final question um and then i'll ask the last question so there's two more questions is what are three things that you found the most supportive that you did post-surgery for your health if you could just overview three three things for post-surgery number one rest Mm -hmm. Sounds silly, but absolutely important. I felt really good post-surgery, um, which I know isn't the experience for everybody, but I'd done a lot of work on my health and this was just the icing on the cake for me. So I felt like I could be normal the next day, but I had to rest. I didn't take any painkillers, not because I was trying to be a hero, but because I actually had no pain. Mm. And, you know, I think that's a reflection of just where I was at from a health perspective. Um, but I, yeah, it was absolute. And I had a very, my surgery went fine. So resting, despite how you feel, if you feel great, you still have to rest. You've still had a major surgery. Mine went for four hours under general anaesthetic. That's huge for your body. And it takes a long time for that to get out of your system. So you need to rest and honour your body. So, you know, at the absolute most, doing some gentle walking and whatnot, but really just resting and taking that time out. Number two would be well, food. So, you know, supporting your detoxification systems via your liver and your gut. So obviously this is what I, um, and I had a whole protocol I developed for myself based on my own health, but I had a lot of um, food-based stuff that I was doing. So I was eating very, very well, lots of whole foods, lots of fiber, lots of water, minim like no alcohol, you know, minimizing caffeine, just getting those liver loaders down um, and um, just making sure that I was getting really good bowel movements because that's how a lot of our toxins escape. So mm. that's an absolute non-negotiable. And through that, obviously it's getting all of those beautiful veggies and fibers and, you know, prebiotics and all that kind of thing in. So that's, that's a huge one. And I also went hundred percent organic too, just to kind of, and I was already like that, but that's just what I decided to do, um, especially around this time to just lessen that load. And then the third one um, that helped me, I guess, it, I guess it was, um, it was supplements and, you know, supplements are not the be all and the end all, but they definitely helped me with that. So I took a lot of stuff that helped with healing, a lot of stuff that assisted my liver, a lot of stuff that helped with my gut, um, a lot of um, just, yeah, stuff that helped with this oxidation and this um, inflammation and, and, and just to help kind of get this drug out of my body, help me, you know, recover faster, but I can't give these supplements 
to this audience because it's going to change depending on the individual person. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's something that um, under the right guidance of someone qualified in the area, you could definitely, you know, have this little series of sups that you, you had to just support you. Supplements are not the be on the end all food always comes first, but they can actually, they can absolutely help to um, allow you to heal. So mm. they're the three things, rest, food and stuff. So the big thing Amazing. that I, I lent on. Amazing. It's, it just goes to show that, with supplementation and using nutritional products. And I actually recently did this in a video that you can't just use a product and think you're going to be fine eating pizza and burgers for dinner. Oh. Like it's, it's food firstly and nutritional products can help support the absorption of nutrients in your food and vice versa. So it's something I do on a daily basis. That's definitely helped me with leaky guard and PCOS and, mm. and just having a stable, healthy body all the time mm. um but yeah definitely reach out for support and if you want to learn more about um supplementation there's a bunch of different podcast episodes and instagram tv um videos about it so just head over and check those out but mm. emma thank you so much for joining us final question i ask all mm -hmm. our guests mm -hmm. is what and it's a totally different topic but what are three guiding tips that you would give to your younger menstruating self? So think back to when you started menstruating. What are three tips that you wish you knew then that you now know today? Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Don't uh, nurture your cycle and, and see your cycle as a positive thing, not, not a negative thing. Mm -hmm. So your cycle is there for a reason and it's not all bad. It, um it's a normal part of being a woman and it doesn't need to be suppressed via the pill. So that would be probably your number one thing. And I guess it's just coming off that. So my second thing would be don't go on the pill. <laughs> if you're having a hard, a hard time, although my younger self had no idea, you know, I just didn't have the education around um, at that time, but yeah. went on the pill really quickly after getting my cycle and therefore my cycle didn't get to mature for a long time because I was on or like contraception for such a long time, which took all my hormones offline. Um, but yeah, really around nurturing that part of your, that part of you being a woman and it's there to stay for a long time and it has a role. And, it's, and there's a, a big way that we can shift the way that, especially for younger women who just think, Oh, the period is such a waste of time. And it's just the bane of my existence. Young women, I, I find it so uh, important to educate young girls when they get their period that it's totally normal and it takes a, lot, a little while for it to even out and that that is normal and to lean on their elders their mothers their aunties their bigger sisters for support and education around that um, and I wish that all of those things I had which I didn't but I believe now with such a, a bigger people with people like yourself Gemma like educating around this um, it's it's a lot more real um, and it's a lot more um yeah it's going to be easier for those younger women to be able to connect with back with their cycles via education and and all of that so amazing they're really great great tips i, I actually pretty much would say the same um but em thank you so much for joining us um in the show notes i will include how you can connect with em um what is the best platform for people to connect with you on? I'm guessing it's going to be Instagram. Yeah. My best yeah. platform is Instagram. Um, so it's just at Emma Morris underscore nutrition. Um, I get a lot of DMs about breast implant illness and all of that. I actually, 
a long time ago, I said I at the start of this year, I said I was going to put out, out a bit of an ebook about breast implant illness and like you know so just some tips and tricks and that kind of just fell by the wayside with COVID and whatnot. But I think that I really should finish up on that. I've I've half done it, but I in feel like you know in the future, yeah. But you know, I'm so open to anybody um, asking me about about my experience or for tips or advice surrounding breast implant illness and getting the next plant and all of that because I'm I've been through it myself. I can 100%, you know, um, guide you in the right direction. Amazing. Thank you so much, Emma. And I know you wanted to offer every, all of our listeners, you know, if you are looking at getting some assistance with either pre or post explanting, um, M is offering 15% off your initial consultation. So reach out to M. Um, the links will be in the show notes and use the code WWPODCAST discount. So I'll pop all that in the show notes. But M, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey about explanting and breast implant illness and um, I really trust that everyone listening has just been blown away by your story and also inspired thank you so much I it was such a fun topic to talk about and thanks for having me you're welcome thank you thank you so much for tuning in to every episode of the well women podcast I trust you enjoyed this episode as much as we did if you got a lot out of it too please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or your podcast app This means together we can inspire, connect and educate even more women. Now, is there a bestie, a sister or a friend who you know may be frustrated and confused with their health? Are they ready to discover new aspects of themselves too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your social media, email it, text it or any way you need to get it to their ears. So together we can all live in flow, harmony and balance with our bodies. And be sure to tag me in it too. Hashtag WellWomenPodcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.